Hey, John, how's it going, my friend? Good, Sean. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, always great to see you and hear what you've got to say. Uh, how is the book doing? It's doing well. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I keep writing articles uh, related to MKUltra because sadly there is so, so many, you know, MKUltra projects still going on today, it appears. Um, a recent article I wrote was about um, this uh, Father Maskell and this uh, documentary called The Keepers about this priest who was uh, abusing, you know, tons of young women, teen women in, in a Catholic high school and um, turns out to have many connections to MKUltra, the CIA's MKUltra uh, program. And um, of course, Drugs as Weapons Against Us, my book and film are both about MKUltra, about the use of drugs for unconventional warfare. And so, because um, this guy was apparently using, you know, drugs, including LSD, hypnosis, and uh, raping and uh, selling these teen girls to politicians and police and other priests around the city and, and actually further around the East Coast. So, was, yeah, and this documentary about it called The Keepers was uh, awarded, was nominated for an Academy Award for documentary in our country. So yeah, it's, it's big news. Congratulations. We have had some people on commenting on that over the years, but John, mm -hmm. a lot of our viewers perhaps are not familiar with MK Ultra. Could you just sure. let them know how it started? Yeah. So MK Ultra was started in 1953. It was a consolidation, uh, by an umbrella project of several others programs are already going on, such as uh, Artichoke and Bluebird. These were CIA projects that were uh, figure, trying to figure out ways to use drugs to control people and, uh, you know, and other projects for the, for the control of people to, you know, use them as assets, to manipulate them in different ways, to use them for blackmail um, and, you know, use in, to basically also develop a dissociative identity disorder because of the drugs coupled with uh, serious sexual abuse of, of kids anywhere from age three to, you know, 18, uh, particularly three to eight years old, though, can cause um, dissociative disorder, or dissociative identity disorder. And people may not know those terms, but it used to be dissociative identity disorder it used to be called multiple personality disorder. And so these, these you know, uh, women or men who, who develop this disorder can then be used as assets with one of their personalities doing things that another of their personalities don't, doesn't even remember them doing, where they can be, you know, uh, manipulated in dissociative states to do things that they don't remember doing. And so uh, that's just some of uh, one part of MKUltra. But I, in my book, I showed how MKUltra started in 1953 and then in 1961, President John F. Kennedy, who we, you know, I hope to talk about today too with you, uh, basically closed closed down MKUltra and really tried to get, you know, disintegrate the whole CIA. At, you know, he had said at some point, but he closed down MKUltra. They ran it behind his back, but um, he tried to close it down a second time before he was assassinated, and they just changed its name to MK Search and kept it going at least until the mid 1970s when the uh, Senate Church Committee. U.S. Senate Church Committee um, investigated it and, um, you know, tried to expose much of it, which they did in, in a number of reports and uh, which were somewhat echoed in some mainstream media, but not a lot. You know, most mainstream media didn't touch this issue. 
for fear of the CIA's, you know, um, you know, in their work with them and their control of the media that, uh, you know, things would happen to them as individual journalists and happen to their career. But, um, you know, I showed the evidence that MKUltra, like other U.S. intelligence programs, such as the FBI's counterintelligence program, um, kept going at least until, you know, one with FBI whistleblower said like, it went at least until the uh, 1990s. And I, I show evidence that they kept they keep going until today. So, John, I'm just wondering if these people who go through MK Ultra are terminated when their usefulness has expired, or are there any perhaps survivors of it that we could speak to, or maybe you've reached out to? Yeah, well, um, look, I did a personal interview with um, a one of the survivors of this Father Maskell situation, um, and this woman said that you know they used hypnosis and and forced lsd on her first uh her this priest in her school um kept you know giving her drinks dosed with lsd and then uh manipulated a friend of hers a really big friend of hers to to force lsd on her in different ways and um and she says that she was always worried as well as a friend of hers who also went through this kind of uh abuse by masco and others that um they had they were programmed to react and do something to certain you know uh, signals and certain you know numbers that they might hear and so um she you know she seemed to be a, a victim who got out of it through extensive therapy sorry about that i'm gonna turn this off um through extensive therapy and um yeah that's what it takes uh to get out of it but um so she, and that's what I do. I do psychotherapy for a living, and I, I've helped um, a number of trauma victims with uh, something called EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. But um, you know, she's just one of God knows how many that are, are still alive today. Um, though she's you know gotten in recovery, but people like Courtney Love uh, is most likely a victim of this kind of MK Ultra, and you know. The evidence is that she's part of it all and just doesn't know she's still part of it all and is still wrecking havoc as so for example in the uh jeff epstein sex trafficking cases she was in his black book she was one of the only women in, that was circled as a material witness to a lot of things that happened and so i can talk to you more about that and the new evidence regarding kurt cobain's case you know in that situation yeah, we'll get to that. Um, one of the viewers is asking if you've heard of Kathy O'Brien. I'm assuming she's perhaps an MK Ultra survivor. Yeah, she is a survivor, and um, I've seen her videos and uh, you know heard her talk about it, and and she seems very credible. And she talks about some of the things that happened to her and some of the ways the traumas like heightened her senses. They increased her vision. They increased her memory and basically what happens is when we're traumatized it, it puts us into this vigilant you know intense uh you know kind of awareness you know, like in fear that we're going to be traumatized again and so it causes us to use you know to expand the use of our brain to use more of it and that's why people can be in hyper alert situations have a, a better memory, have improved eyesight to be hyper aware, you know, wide open eyes, hyper aware of what's going on to try to, um, you know, be vigilant about something happening again. And I think, you know, she is a very interesting case in that regard and talking about it. And it's great that she, she has been speaking out. I don't know her story 
in ex extensive detail because I, I investigated other stories, but I think she is a very credible witness on it all. We've been asked whether Britney Spears has gone through something like this. Yeah, I, again, I, I for her, I didn't you know look at her case intensively, but I do believe that she is a case of um, of you know ritual abuse from early on, from early childhood, and the way the way she was um, assaulted was you know what I believe she was assaulted was as part of the uh, Disney's traveling you know uh, actors and musicians and you know performers. Disney has a traveling national network of, of young performers. And I counseled a, a woman who was part of that, those national performers, and who had, who clearly had some kind of dissociative um, disorder going on. She was a, had an addiction going on. She um, was, you know, director of a regional theater and um, had extensive problems and I can't of course talk you know about very personal details about her because I can't you know reveal things about clients but she just was one example of uh I you know she of child abuse through Disney's national performing uh network and there's just you know I've heard of a number of other uh performers that were abused by their coaches their their you know Disney coaches in those national performing networks and they have dissociative disorder, they have addiction issues. And, um, and, you know, from what I've seen about Britney Spears, she shows the, you know, kind of the behaviors of that, for sure. Right, I'm gonna ask the viewers a quick question then. Do you want us to start with Kurt Cobain? Put one in the chat. Do you want us to start with JFK? Put two in the chat. And all of John's links are in the description box below this video. So please support his work. How many books have you written now? So Sean, yeah, I wrote two books, um, The FBI War on Tupac Shakur and Black Leaders, which was kind of um, uh, bought out by, or just really just um, taken by a new publisher and transformed into the, just the FBI War on Tupac Shakur, a colon state repression of black leaders. Um, and uh, then I wrote the second book I wrote was Drugs as Weapons Against Us, the CIA you know, War on Musicians and Activists, of course, has a longer title, which you, you mentioned, which I appreciate. But then I turned those two books into films. And then, of course, came uh, wrote another film and produced another film that shot two janks the pandemics. But um, so I think that the, um, you know, the key things I've been focusing on our U.S. intelligence and uh, particularly with around musicians and other activists and the way that affects the population. It's almost unanimous for Kurt Cobain. So let's just, because a lot of people haven't seen you before on the channel, John, let's go over the basics first. Sure, sure. So uh, Cobain won. That was very democratic of you, Sean. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> well, regarding Co Kurt Cobain, he, um, he was a kind of a activist, anti-war and civil rights activist inside. You know, he was just a he had activist at heart, I believe. He he stated a lot of uh, you know pro kind of activist causes early on from the start of his career, uh, saying you know he he knew about the media and how mainstream media was just basically controlled, and so he wouldn't wear. Um, you know, wouldn't get on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine unless they allowed him to wear a T-shirt that says "Corporate magazines still suck," 
And of course, that's why it's so good to have media like yours, Sean, that helps get the word out. Um, but he also had a uh, said in an interview um, that ended up in a book that was a biography of Nirvana before Kurt Cobain died, that um, he said that he originally wanted to put all kinds of anarchist essays and revolutionary essays on the cover of Nevermind, you know, Nirvana's album Nevermind, which was a best-selling album, of course. And uh, and but he said we better hold off on that. Uh, you know, I want to get more popular first so people take it more seriously. And so um, you know, and he he mocked uh, capitalist record you know label owners uh, about them just being you know wealthy and greedy. And uh, he supported causes for abortion rights. He supported causes, you know, anti-war kind of things. He, he talked about um, just a lot of good issues. And uh, he says he doesn't want anyone in his crowd that's racist. He doesn't want any uh, one in his crowd that's sexist. And so he, he just had a lot of uh, views that he expressed, activist views he expressed. And uh, the band, after he died, uh, ended up supporting the um, kind of strike, the, the big protest for workers against the um, uh, you know, World Trade Organization when they were meeting in, in Seattle. I believe it was um, not maybe a year after, a few, a few years after Cobain died. And with, you know, if Cobain was part of that, you know, uh, kind of, you know, big rally and protests, of course, that would have been much um more important and bigger but of course without Cobain Nirvana just wasn't the same and uh, of course they disbanded but um so I think that um the key about him is is that he sadly enough was duped by Courtney Love into getting involved in heroin because he had this massive stomach problem um and the the opiates really saw hurt solved his stomach problem ter temporarily because he did not have a daily habit before he met uh, Courtney he said he, in his diaries, he said he only tried uh, heroin about three or four times. And just because he was so desperate, he was throwing up all the time. And his stomach John, I'm just, just going to stop yeah. you briefly. Oh, for the purposes of this interview, then, are we all right to say white, brown and green instead of the actual words? Otherwise, YouTube will stop us. It won't show the video. <laughs> uh, sure. Um, white, brown and green for what? Yeah. For the for okay. the various substances. So oh, sure, sure. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. So, yeah, so um, I'd say he, he was, uh, so Courtney Love started having him take inject white uh, regularly, daily. And he, uh, and so, you know, he did develop a problem. And she, she meanwhile, uh, grew up in a super wealthy family. Um, she was, uh, her, you know, her mother admitted in a, uh, you know, a biography that, that she was probably abused from the ages of about three years old onwards, she, you know, she said she wrote a letter to her biological father saying she was sexually and physically abused by her therapist from early on, you know, from, and she was seeing therapists from the age of about three or four years old onwards. And so, um, you know, that can cause dissociative identity disorder. And meanwhile, by the time she was a teenager, she was a prostitute. She you know, admitted being a prostitute and, you know, in letters, and she was a prostitute for uh, Asian mafia, believe it or not. She this, she said this in an authorized biography that she was part of the white sex trade, white you know white slave trade. She said in uh, I believe it was Japan at the time, and um, and so you know she uh, also it came out in in major you know, biographies of her 
that she brought a thousand hits of LSD to England when she was 17 years old. And why did she do that? You know, was she just, you know, uh, selling an opportunist trying to sell drugs? Um, but what we find out from her biological father is, is the fact that he says his letter, he had letters to prove it. Now he's passed now, Hank Harrison, but he said he incidentally introduced Courtney Love to a guy named Stephen O'Leary when she was 17 years old and visited him in Ireland. And Stephen O'Leary was working for the government, making weekly, uh, reports to, to the embassy in Ireland, to the U S embassy in Ireland about things he was spying on in Ireland. And, um, and so he said he admitted on his deathbed this, the, all this, and that he was traveling with Courtney he, uh, to England. She, he took her to England where she passed out this, you know, thousands of hits of LSD, disrupted bands, you know, disrupted the Pogues, disrupted, you know, slept with the drummer and, who, and um, you know, slept with loads of different musicians and, and musicians you know, from these, you know, like Adam Ant and these uh, other up and coming bands from England who made it big were, were really uh, despised her being over there and, and passing out so many different drugs. Now, go back 30 years from now, this was in the 1980s. And you go back, as I say, about uh, uh, maybe 40 years or so, and you see that what happened with MK Ultra is the assistant director, a guy named Robert Lashwood, um, Lashbrook, I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, according to uh, Ernest Hemingway's editor, A.E. Hotchner, who came out with a biography of the Rolling Stones and the whole music scene in England, he says Robert Lashbrook took tons of LSD agents and money to London in 1965 as part of MKUltra, you know, and, and tries try to get them LSD in as many musicians' hands as possible. So here is Courtney Love duplicating that activity, that behavior. And the reason, obviously, is to manipulate and disrupt things uh, and use musicians who are beloved by many to popularize acid, to disrupt people's minds with acid. And so I show all kinds of evidence of that throughout my book. But um, with Courtney Love, she ended up doing it in London. Then she ended up, or I'm sorry, near, in England. And she ended up doing it in Manchester, I believe it was. But she ended up doing it through many top music scenes in the United States. She went through um, to Portland. She went to Los Angeles. She went to obviously Seattle um, and did the same thing. Passed out drugs like candy, um, LSD, opiates, you know, painkillers, all kinds of things. She had tons of drugs on her all the time, just as a teenager. You know, where does this woman get so many different drugs? And um, and then she married the top punk musician in Los Angeles, who, who thought, you know, he thought he was marrying a, a left-wing rebellious woman. And it turns out she was, a, he called her a right-wing Phyllis Diller. She said she uh, slept with uh, generals, army generals in Alaska. And they, they told her why wars are good for us, you know, good for America. And uh, so she was just, you know, ridiculous. And he got, finally got away from her and divorced her. And then she goes and finds the top musician in Seattle, who was, of course, Kurt Cobain. And latches onto him when when Nirvana's Nevermind was rising up the charts really fast, and convinces him to you know um, use heroin daily. But a year before he he died, uh, Cobain got off of heroin. He found his uh, a cure for a stomach problem. He said this in interviews, and he found a cure for a stomach problem. And a month before his death, Cobain's death, he you know he had gone to the hospital in Rome. He had, he um, overdosed on rohypnol. 
and it was Courtney's uh, prescription Rohypnol that she got because it's legal in England. It's not legal in the United States. And Rohypnol's roofies. It's sleeping medication, but they're called roofies because people use them to put them in people's drinks and they don't remember what happened, you know, um, but they, they're passed out from the Rohypnol, the roofies. And then, you know, they rape them, you know, and it's horrible. But so she apparently put tons of roofies or Rohypnol in his drink. He, he had went into a coma. And people acted like it was a suicide attempt, but it was her Rohypnol. He, they found no other illicit drugs whatsoever in Cobain's um, body at that time, even though he was on tour with Nirvana through Europe. And this was, you know, in Italy at the time he was playing concerts in Italy. And uh, everyone said that he was not using any drugs. Every, all the musicians were smoking weed or drinking and he wasn't touching anything. And and uh, and he he was divorcing Courtney at the time. Courtney he just wanted to see his daughter, and and um, Courtney had his daughter, so she brought the daughter over to see him. And so it's really uh, that was probably first murder attempt number one, and then um, the second time, of course, worked. Now we've got witnesses such as uh, musician Eldon Hoke who said she offered him uh, some sixty grand to kill Kurt Cobain gave him a map about where how to find him in the house and everything else of Seattle. And she, now the newest, the news on this whole case came out recently with, you know, let's say six to 12 months, I'll say, where um, the FBI finally released some documents they had on Kurt Cobain. So he released about 10 or 12 documents, pages of their file on Kurt Cobain. Now why they have a file on Kurt Cobain is, you know, another story, of course, and it's a big story. But they, they have a file. It's obviously they have many more pages than the 10, 10 to 12 pages I read. And uh, they were getting all kinds of uh, information from different sources that you've got to investigate, you know, Kurt Cobain's death because it does it appears to be a murder and not a um, you know suicide. And so it turns out at the time of Cobain's death, um, she, Courtney Love, hired a detective, Tom Grant, who was a private detective, was, was formerly a murder detective for the Los Angeles County Police Department. Tom Grant end, ends up finding loads of information that and and loads of evidence that Courtney Love played a part in her husband's death. And he took it all to the Los Angeles Police Department he used to work with, to the uh, Seattle Police Department, who, you know, didn't you just ignored him. And, um, you know, and nobody would look at it. Nobody would you know, take it seriously. And um, so here was the FBI getting lots of this information, too. And, and Unsolved Mysteries uh, did some work on this case and hired uh, the top um, forensic examiner, um, Cyril Wecht, to look at the case. And he said he, he highly believed that um, Kurt Cobain's uh, death was staged as a suicide to hide that it was a homicide. You know, it was definitely a homicide, he believed. And uh, he was the former head of the American Forensics Association, you know, for uh, studying people, you know, deaths. And so uh, this is just some of the evidence that Kurt Cobain was actually murdered and not, you know, wasn't a suicide. Now, um, so FBI says that they can't investigate this because it's not in their jurisdiction. And, you know, they say people have to cross state lines for them to investigate. Uh, and when they cross state lines, they, they don't have to murder anyone, cross state lines and murder anyone. They just have to plan to murder someone. So Courtney Love went from Seattle. Eldon Hoke said on tape for um, Nick Broomfield's film, Kurt and Courtney, 
that uh, that Courtney Love came from Seattle, Los Angeles, visited him in his record store, and offered him sixty thousand dollars to kill Kurt Cobain, and that's all in film. And so state lines were crossed. The plan was made for murder, and the FBI says they can't investigate it. It's a joke, and so the FBI is is covering up, obviously, for you know higher in, intelligence you know agents like CIA. And uh, so the obvious thing that was going on, and this was a pattern amongst musicians, is they were they, manip- they tried to manipulate Kurt Cobain to promote heroin, which he, he did inadvertently. He didn't want to. But, you know, of course, the media talking about him using did promote heroin and, and it and use in America went up drastically every year during the 90s from 91, 92, 93, 10 percent a year. And um, we have this heroin chic and all over here and it's probably worldwide, of course. And, um, but when, you know, then when he sobered up, he was a concern for promoting sobriety and, and activism. And, uh, he had to be done away with sadly enough. And, uh, that's what, you know, appeared to happen. Now, the other evidence, of course, against, um, uh, Courtney Love is the fact that, I mean, I, there's more that's come, that I'm going to be coming out with in a sequel to my drugs as weapons against this film. But, um, the other evidence is the fact that, you know, as I said before, that Courtney Love ends up as one of the circled uh, witnesses in um, Jeff Epstein's black book. Okay, Jeff Epstein, you know, the sex trafficker and all. Yeah, that, we're, we're we're banned from talking about that case on this channel. John. Oh, no worries, no more talk about it. They, then. they um, YouTube terminated my channel twice over it completely. And no more talk about it. Then um, and this it was, is what uh, we, the, this the, world the, we the live in now. To, the public had to lobby to get. The public probably had to lobby to get the channel back. Yeah, it was a crazy situation. All right, so let me just talk to the viewers then. So, viewers, we are talking to John Potash about the mysterious death of Kurt Cobain and the role of the CIA and Courtney Love in it. If you've got any questions for John about this subject, because he is an expert on a lot of subjects, about Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love and the CIA, if you've got any questions for John, please put them in the chat. And we'll get them to him before we go over to other conspiracies, including JFK. So the first question that's coming in, John, is that is it is it because she had friends in high places that she did not face any consequences for this? Yeah, so I think she did have friends in high places, but um, I I believe that she probably uh, because of her childhood abuse. Um, and a lot of things I read about her, she probably was suffering from dissociative disorder or dissociative identity disorder. Um, and I, you know, I can't go through all, I don't have time to go through all the evidence of that, but I am a, you know, a licensed psychotherapist, um, went in network with many insurance companies and, um, trauma is my specialty. And so I've seen, uh, the you know, different signs of dissociative disorder and she appears to exhibit them. And uh, so she probably didn't even know everything she was doing. Um, and so she was probably um, being handled and was the puppet of these, these higher authorities. Um, she had, you know, they call them handlers that she had in her life. And um, in my next film, I'm going to, you can, you can see just even in my first film, you can hear some names of what might've been her handlers, but my next film goes into a little bit more, touches a little bit more on those handlers. That are still with her, you know, can be seen with her in videos today. Loads of questions flooding in. Method wants to know who would have instructed Courtney. Would that have been the handlers? Yeah, yeah, they, 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 well, they would have, yeah, they would have manipulated her 
or instructed her, you know, on how to do things. But she, you know, again, wouldn't have known exactly uh, what everything she was doing, except, you know, they just guided her in, in whatever she did to uh, do, do what she did. I mean, she was violently, brutally violent against, uh, Kat, you know, um, Kathy Hanna of Bikini Kill, great musician. She punched her in the face at, the, at Lollapalooza out of nowhere and Sonic Youth threatened to uh, leave as headliners for that Lollapalooza tour when they saw that because they were good friends with Kathleen Hanna. And she you know, would uh, grab photographers or journalists she didn't like and drag them around by the hair, you know, female uh, photographers or journalists. And, you know, there was all kinds of uh, lawsuits against her, but in charge, you know, but no charges went through for, for all of her brutality against so many other people. Andrew wants to know, did you hear about her kidnapping her daughter's husband and almost having him killed? Yes, um, that's an interesting case because um, some of her handlers, yeah, I forget the guy's name, but yeah, one of her um, managers, uh, I believe, or, or talent, talent people, PR people, I forget the guy's name now, was involved in that, directly involved in that. And, uh, you know, in, in basically kidnapping and trying to take things from her daughter's husband. And uh, there was a big lawsuit by him over that. And um, hopefully that's going to reveal a lot more, but I, I, I don't even know where that's gone at this point in time. I just see so many details of it all. And I'm just, yeah, I had to move. I moved on to other subjects, at, you know, by that point in time. Jake wants to know what specific evidence links her to the CIA. Yeah. So I said some of them, but I'll say them again for sure. I don't mind. No questions. A bad question here, guys. So thanks for the questions. Um, so one of them is that her her biological father, Hank Harrison, said that so somebody befriended him when he was doing uh, writing a book and, and doing research on a book in Ireland. Um, he was a he, he was a therapist and a writer, actually, this guy, Hank Harrison. And um, he so he's in Ireland. She comes to stay with him in Ireland. And um some guy named Stephen O'Leary had uh, befriended Hank Harrison saying, oh, I, I love the Grateful Dead. And Hank Harrison used to be a manager for the Grateful Dead when they first started. And so Harrison said he didn't really think much of this guy, um, but he introduced him to his daughter. This guy starts sleeping with the 17-year-old you know, daughter of Hank Harrison's because uh, Courtney Love was sleeping with tons of people. I mean, 17, it's not a big deal, except she was a prostitute by that time for the Japanese mafia, according to her bi different biographies on her. And so nonetheless, she, she was carrying a thousand hits of acid. And here this um, older, you know, this guy in his late 20s or so, um, Stephen O'Leary, takes her to London and uh, where she distributes this acid to top musicians, you know, I'm sorry, in England, you know, through in, in top English music scenes. And so um, that's one. And so on his deathbed, Stephen O'Leary said, I was actually working for U.S. intelligence at that time. Said I was visiting the, you know, I, I didn't really have a high high position, but I was had to visit the embassy, U.S. embassy, once a week to give reports on people. So he was spying in Ireland for U.S. intelligence, and that's, you know, so he was connected to U.S. intelligence, um, most likely CIA, because of this kind of activities that CIA is involved in, like MK Ultra, you know, with passing out, you know, LSD and stuff. The second link, though, is. The fact that uh, Jeff Epstein um, was found to be part of U.S. intelligence, um, the uh, Trump, you know, President Trump's labor secretary, Alex Acosta, said that when he was um, vetted uh, for his position, 
they said, well, why didn't you go to, you know, why didn't you work harder on the prosecution of Jeff Epstein at the time when he was prosecuting him in Florida earlier, early on when Jeff Epstein was like taken to court in, in 2005. And he said, well, I was told that Epstein is U.S. intelligence and he's got a much higher pay grade than you do. So don't touch him. And so here is Epstein's U.S. intelligence. Courtney Love's circled as a material witness in what Epstein was doing in his black book. And Courtney Love, you know, was obviously involved with Jeffrey Epstein and what he's doing. We're gonna we're, we're gonna have to leave that one. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry you told yeah, me that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry. All right. Adam Ant Adam Ant went bonkers, didn't he? Do you think Adam Ant was one of her victims? Yeah. I, well, um, I think all all of that scene, uh, all of those musicians in that scene were victims. Yeah, Adam Ant, the drummer for the Pogues. Um, there was some other Echo and the Bunnymen. Um, they were all, you know, uh, targets for for Courtney Love. Yes. Imogen wants to know why Kurt didn't see through Courtney. Kurt was ridiculously intelligent. I agree. Uh, Kurt was ridiculously intelligent, and um, I think he did see through Courtney, and that's why he was divorcing her uh, at the time of his death. Um, you know, I have. In my film, you know, I have uh, his lawyer saying, you know, basically that that he was divorcing her and all. Um, and that was, you know, uh, recorded by Tom Grant, the investigator. And so the problem was Kurt Cobain was just too nice of a guy that when, you know, Courtney Love did the old uh, kind of trick of getting pregnant um, early on in their dating, he, he decided, well, he's going to do the right thing and marry her. And uh, but then when she was just so caustic and terrible um in in their marriage he he you know had said he had to divorce her and he was divorcing her and that's that's what what happened yeah kim smith wants to know if courtney has a child yeah i mean that you know kurt and courtney um had, do have a child together who's an adult who we were talking about got married to that other music to that musician and um you know francis bean cobain her name is Okay, and Linda wants to know why the CIA could not just use hypnosis without the abuse. Well, um, they find that it takes a few different kinds of uh, you know ritual kind of techniques that that help you know someone become an asset, and uh, only certain people here only ten percent of the population uh, is so open to hypnosis that they, they can just use hypnosis. But, um, with most people, they find it takes drugs and hypnosis. Kim wants to know if Courtney's mother is a therapist. Courtney's mother appears to be similar to her daughter is my understanding. Um, because she ends up, uh, being a therapist. Yes. For, um, some interesting people, like one of the members of the weather underground, she was a therapist for one of them. And that's similar to like Dr. Jolyon West, who was a psychiatrist um, and a psychiatrist for Jack Ruby when he, after he shot Lee Harvey Oswald, who was supposedly, you know, J JFK's President Kennedy's uh, assassin. And so, um, yeah, I think she's uh, a therapist that controls some political victims. Yeah. See, Wyatt wants to know where was Courtney when Kurt died? Uh, Courtney was getting herself arrested in, I believe in Los Angeles at the time to take away suspicion from her being involved. 
but she had a group of men that were at her home that appeared to be involved. And uh, that group of men, male heroin addicts um, who, who Kurt Cobain tried to fire, apparently uh, drugged uh, Kurt with diazepam, with like a, a benzodiazepine, and then, you know, uh, grabbed him and, and, you know, forced things to happen to him, you know, such as killing him. Yeah. Stephen wants to know, did the other Nirvana band members know what was going on? I, I don't know. I really don't know. I don't think so, but I, I just can't. I, I really don't know. All right. We've now got about, I know you've got so many subjects you can talk about. We'd love to get you back, John. But let's For the rest of it, let's go over to JFK then, shall we? Because that's what we've sure. scheduled. And Sean, I, I know about censorship, so please keep cutting me off if I uh, you know, get into things <laughs> that are can get get you censored it's a tough world out there these days for us people trying to get the truth out. yeah i think we're safer yeah. we're safer with jfk than <laughs> so these are sad you know tragic subjects from you know about people we we love and and you know and you know yeah people love cobain i love you know cobain was a credible talent incredible person and of course jfk john president john f kennedy um thanks annabelle um so I, I was going to say that President John F. Kennedy um, was just a, so so much more unbelievable than I realized when I started researching all his history. And I, I didn't I, I in my Drugs as Weapons Against This book, um, I got a little bit into the JFK assassination, but I really covered more of you know more put more pages into Robert F. Kennedy's assassination because there was such a clear MK Ultra um tie on that you know cim mk ultra tie to his assassination because uh sirhan sirhan was according to a harvard um specialist harvard psychiatrist uh he was clearly hypnotized and uh this harvard psychiatrist spent 500 hours studying examining sirhan sirhan and said that yeah hypnosis was used and you know uh, drugs were used to create sirhan sirhan as a you know patsy for um, our you know, Robert Kennedy's um, assassination. Let me just Robert interrupt Kennedy. you there briefly, John, because we, we just interviewed a guy called Joey Torres, T-O-R-R-E-S. We did three, four podcasts with him. He yeah. served 10 years with Saran Saran. And well, um, I'll send you over what he said about Saran because it, it uh, ties into what you're saying there. Okay, thanks, Sean. Um, so that sounds really interesting. So, yeah, so um, I ended up, of course, uh, studying, you know, John F. Kennedy a bit, but I, I befriended um, a guy named the late John Judge was a, uh, a, a big researcher on President John F. Kennedy's assassination and held annual conferences um, uh, and developed a group called the Committee on Political Assassinations that had Cyril Wecht as part of it. I mentioned Cyril Wecht about Cobain's case. Cyril Wecht was a was a top um, you know, medical examiner in the country and also studied, he's, he's in his eighties now. So he, he was of age. He was a professional when JFK was assassinated, president Kennedy was assassinated and he studied the, the autopsy when president Kennedy. And so he came out in a, in a new film, a documentary series, like a four part, uh, four hour documentary, um, about JFK by Oliver Stone. And so Oliver Stone, um, hired uh, a writer named Jim DiEugenio to write uh, that documentary that it was, you know, ended up being four hours. And, um, and so they first turned into a two hour release uh, nationally and maybe internationally, but then they, they, 
later, a year or two later, they, they released the four hour version. And so I wrote a, um, a, review, a review, a film review of the two hour version and uh, Jim DiEugenio just liked what I wrote and asked me, could I please review the uh, four hour version? So um, I uh, ended up doing that. And it, it was basically uh, amazing to hear the pres uh, President John F. Kennedy's history as a senator. He visited Vietnam in 1951 with his brother, Robert Kennedy, who was his top aide, you know, even back then as a senator. And they um, came back just saying, this is terrible what, um, you know, imperialism is doing to, you know, to in Vietnam, what, you know, and what French, you know, the French are doing in Vietnam and we should not get involved, basically. And then he also, uh, as a senator, spoke out against uh, colonization and imperialism by the U.S. and other countries uh, on the Senate floor. He gave a radical speech like that in 1957 as a senator, and he was shunned by Democrats and Republicans alike. And that's you know that's who he was before he became president. It's pretty amazing. Um, I could not imagine today a senator speaking out so you know bluntly and directly against you know, uh, Europe, you know, American and European imperialism, you know, in other, other countries of this way. And so, um, by the time he reached, you know, the presidency, he did run on a somewhat, you know, a, a basically a more moderate platform to, to reach the presidency. But once he was in, he first, uh, was pushed very hard by lots of powerful forces to, uh, continue with an operation that was already afoot to invade Cuba because of the Cuban revolution. So he agreed to do it, but he would not allow any aerial strikes by any planes. And, um, you know, it's possible he did that on purpose, you know, and he, they, the CIA hated him for that because the, it was obviously the Bay of Pigs was a big defeat, but he was, he was pushed into doing it by the CIA. He fired the CIA director, um, you know, at that, point in time, uh, Alan Dulles, uh, because of the whole debacle and, um, but wouldn't allow air coverage for that invading force. And, um, and when, when president Kennedy was assassinated, um, Fidel Castro said, this is a terrible day for, for uh, Cuba and the world. Um, so, you know, as much as, uh, Castro was upset, of course, about him, you know, uh, you know, but the Bay of Pigs, he, Castro knew that he was the, the best that America could offer. Um, and so the, you know, he was, uh, brokering deals with Nikita Khrushchev. Um, you know, he was uh, calling for the disarmament of nuclear, you know, of, of all nuclear arms, dismantling of nuclear arms. He was, um, just doing a lot of great things. You know, when I told, said before he was, he dismantled MK ultra, that was, that was major. Um, he was calling for peace with the Soviet union. He, he had a speech calling for national health care in the United States, you know, which never happened. But for him to call for that in the early 1960s is amazing. Um, he says all the European countries have national health, national health insurance. You know, every industrialized country basically has national health insurance except for the U.S. And, um, you know, he pointed that out in speeches. And so there was lots of reasons for the, the oligarchs, the corporate, you know, owners, you know, multinational corporate owners in our country, the wealthiest in our country to hate him for these things. Um, he also was, you know, first he thought that um, he allowed what the generals wanted, which was a, uh, some, some incursions in Vietnam, 
but then he started pulling troops back out of Vietnam. And he announced that we are going to have all troops and uh, leaving Vietnam within a year. And uh, so I have all that evidence of him doing that in my book and film, Drugs as Weapons Against Us. And um, that was a big issue because Vietnam was part of the golden triangle for opium and opium crops, and which produces white, lots of white throughout the world. You know, it's the biggest uh, trafficker of white throughout the world, of opium and all throughout the world. And um, and so um, the powers that be, I show, I show evidence that they've been uh, long involved in opium throughout the world. Um, you know, the, the wealthiest in our country and, and Britain with the British East India, you know, um, company, uh, they were always, you know, connected. And the, the wealthiest in our country are often called Anglophiles because they love the uh, royalty of, of Britain. And um, they were all involved in the opium trade and uh, still are. And they're still being J.P. Morgan um, boats, you know, own boats were caught with with uh, other forms of white from, you know, Latin America and uh, with tons of, of white in there, you know, transporting, trafficking tons of white. And so this is what, you know, we're, we're dealing with. Um, and, yeah, you know, I'm glad uh, Bjorn just said about the opium wars in Afghanistan. So the two, you know, uh, longest wars in, in U.S. history were vietnam and afghanistan and um it's no coincidence that they are the sites for the two best opium producing you know, like poppy producing uh, areas in the world you know, they call them the golden triangle uh for poppy poppies in um you know vietnam area and the golden crescent for poppies poppy production you know poppy growing in uh the afghanistan area and so yeah that's that's part of why they they assassinated him now if you look at the assassin uh you know the purported assassin lee harvey oswald um he was working for the u.s government on the youtube plane uh spy plane project before he was you know uh purported to be the assassin of of president kennedy and uh then you look at jack ruby who killed lee harvey oswald the patsy just uh, a few days later and, and Jack Ruby um, was an FBI informant. Okay, he was working. I mean, he means he was paid by the FBI. And so this came out from a senator um, who was investigating this. Um, you know, U.S. senator was investigating this, named Schweitzer, and he said that he found he was told by FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover that um, you know that Jack Ruby was a paid FBI informant. So um, this is some of the way it all works. And, um, you know, the, the CIA was all over basically that assassination. Um, you know, you had uh, just so many different now, you know, in, in the documentary, uh, they, they interview Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who says that uh, his dad, the first thing he did after um, that RFK, I mean, after his um, brother was assassinated, was he called the CIA and he said, uh, tell me you know, who was behind this horror in your agency, basically, you know, and, um, and then they had two, eight, two, uh, war veterans who were, you know, part of security for JFK in the car behind JFK when he was assassinated. And they both said there was a crossfire of bullets that killed JFK, President Kennedy, and, uh, not the, uh, one lone assassin, Lee Harvey Oswald from the sixth floor building behind JFK. 
And witnesses in that building said that that Lee Harvey Oswald was not on the sixth floor uh, from the place they said he was to kill, you know, uh, JFK. And then you have uh, a police expert saying that, um, you know, that, that the gun that that he he was he originally found was not the same gun they said uh, was used in the trial. You know, like they, they brought out as evidence of the gun that killed JFK. Um, and there's, there's so many different points of evidence that you can see in, um, you know, in this four hour documentary to show that, that uh, this was all covered up. JFK had hired a black security guard, you know, basically you know, appointed a black security guard to be part of his detail. And uh, that black security guard said he had evidence to show that it was you know, multiple gunmen that killed President Kennedy. And so when he came out with that, they, they jailed him for some frivolous thing and shut him up. Um, so there was just, uh, you know, there was that. There was the doctors that um, that that looked at uh, President Kennedy right after he was shot. They said it was clearly um, a bullet that came in through his throat, the front of his throat, and also came in through the front of his head. And... Um, that's what they first said. And then um, they came, you know, people came down and said, no, you have to change that to the back. And so he was forced the next day to change it to the back. But two people that were close with that doctor said he admitted that, yeah, they, they made him change what he, you know, what he examined, the, what he said about the bullet entry wounds in his examination of JFK's body after, after the assassination. Didn't a piece so, of his head end up on the car and his wife scrambled out and grabbed it? Well, it, I, I don't believe his head uh, like ended. I, I don't think it came completely off now and ended up on the car, but piece, basically piece, like a fragment or something. Oh yeah. Yeah. A piece might've come off for sure. Yeah, no doubt. And she was just, I, I don't know if she grabbed it, but I know she was filled with blood on her coat. And, uh, and she, um, and after, you know, after the assassination, she said, they said, uh, don't you want to change your coat when you speak to, you know, one camera after this all happened, and she said, "No, I'm not changing my code. I want to. I want to, you know, show the world what they did to him." And she said, "They did to him." She knew it was multiple gunmen, and she knew it was powerful forces that did this. It wasn't one lone assassin. She knew that from the start. She knew, you know, she she could see, you know, hear, experience these bullets whizzing in in front of of uh, President Kennedy coming at him, and from all different angles. And that's what it was. It was a crossfire that killed Kennedy, just like his, you know, aides and backup who were, you know, veterans of combat said, you know, I mean, his security detail behind him. So, yeah. And, you know, and then you got the magic bullet, which uh, supposedly came in through the back of Kennedy, went through, you know, hit like injured two or three different parts of Kennedy and then jumped to the front to the seat in front of him and injured two different parts of uh, Senator, you know, uh, I mean, his vice president vice president you know and so um that's you know that's the, the good, good old magic bullet that cyril weck talked about the path was ridiculous and the bat and then the bullet magically comes out unscathed you know of of the second person it hits you know in three different places and so uh it was obviously a crossfire and a number of bullets to make sure the assassination was successful and so of course once they got rid of jfk they had lyndon johnson in their pocket and johnson just uh, reversed of, uh, you know, John Kennedy's policies and, um, you know, pushed for the Vietnam War to escalate in a big way and, 
you know, and uh, ended a kind of uh, peace detente with uh, the Soviet Union, etc. All right, so we've got about 10 minutes left with John. If you've got any questions on JFK only, put them in the chat because we're going to, there's probably going to be quite a few. We're going to run out of time here. Um, do you think, John, that LBJ had foreknowledge? Yeah, I, I don't know for sure. Um, my guess is yes, he apparently didn't like um, Kennedy. And his brother, uh, is my understanding, he was you know more of a political pick for vice president, and um, I, uh, you know, I think he probably did have some some foreknowledge in some way, shape, or form. Um, so yeah, I'm sorry. And the person in front of uh, Kennedy wasn't Johnson, the vice president it was a just another um, uh, somebody else. I think a senator from Texas, maybe. Um, but nonetheless, um, yeah, I, I do think he probably had foreknowledge. I don't know for sure though. Um, my guess is that he he did have some foreknowledge. I, I've heard evidence that he did, so he probably did. Very funny question, Papa, but we've got to stick to JFK questions only, please. So, John, what was the role of the Cold War in this? Well, you know, it's uh, all these uh, American oligarchs wanted to, you know, have a heightened war with the Soviet Union. They wanted just constant the America to be on war footing so they can make so much money off of weapons so that they can control Americans easier by pretending like there's a constant menace, you know? Um, and um, yeah, I think that those were major issues. And the fact that JFK was thawing the gold, the cold war in a major, a big way that played a, a part in their motives to, to assassinate him. And how many Kennedys were assassinated? That's a good question. Um, well, uh, I've got, you know, there's massive evidence, of course, on President John F. Kennedy and uh, and Senator Robert F. Kennedy, who was about to become president um, before he was assassinated because he had won the California primary um, right before his assassination. And that was a sign that he was going to win the Democratic primary. And um, he just was uh, just too popular. There's no way anyone was going to defeat him for president. Um and so it's clear cut on those two. Now, um, I've read and seen evidence of several attempts on um, Ted Kennedy's life also. Um, and I don't think, um, I think that's not just, can't be just a coincidence. Um, you know, as he was probably, they were worried about his influence as a, a really a popular senator. And um, he, he could have, uh, he could have been president, I think people in the Democratic Party had to organize in a special way to keep him from uh, being the presidential candidate. I heard in um, when it was him against uh, President Carter and uh, granted, President Carter was one of our better presidents, um, you know, relatively speaking, he was definitely one of their better, best presidents um, since since JFK. But nobody was going to be, you know, like a Kennedy. Um, the Kennedys were much more uh, progressive in a positive way, you know, like um, uh, than any other candidates. And so there's a huge fight in the primary um, between Carter and Ted Kennedy. Um, and I think it was 1980 years. I mean, sorry, 1976. I mean, and um, I heard there was a huge fight about that, who was going to be the uh, candidate and the Carter people won that fight. But um, I think it was similar to like Bernie Sanders 
being the most popular candidate, you know, in the, you know, in the recent elections, they, there was no way they were going to let Bernie Sanders be the um, nominee for the democratic party. And cause he, he was the most popular, you know, American candidate running, no doubt. And um, so it was a similar situation. They, they were not going to let Ted Kennedy get near the presidency. Question from Jake. Oh, uh, and oh, one I more, a... I'll, just, I'll just add one more answer to that is I do think that uh, John F. Kennedy Jr. was assassinated also, but um, that's more controversial than the others, believe it or not. Okay, go Jake, on. Wants to, Jake wants to know why no major whistleblowers were confirmed. Weren't they all killed? Weren't hundreds of people killed around this? Oh, yeah. I mean, members of the Warren Commission even were, were killed, is my understanding. That's what I've heard. But yeah, um, yeah, I think witnesses were shut up um, or done away with. You know, yeah, I think there was other people killed too. But I'm sorry, what were we going to say, Sean? Even members of the Warren Commission were killed? Yeah, it's my understanding. Ones that went against uh, things that happened, um, you know, there that, that kind of opposed the way, you know, it was being manipulated. But I, I, I don't have all the, you know, remember all the evidence of that. So I, I can't get into that deeply. I'm sorry. Nitrum said it was Texas Governor John Connolly sat in front of Kennedy. Thank you. Thank you. Ray J has a question for you, John. Was the death of JFK the final takeover move by the deep state and the end of democracy? Well, um, it was major, no doubt. I'm probably one of the biggest, you know, events. Um, you know, you can call it the deep state, you can call it whatever. Um, it, the deep state, that that uh, idea, uh, that term actually came from a um, a professor over here, um, Peter Dale Scott, who's a Canadian originally, but um, was a Canadian diplomat and then became a uh, University of California Berkeley professor who's written excellent books about drugs and uh, politics that um, I've used for sources for my book. But um, so, you know, Trump kind of took over that term, uh, but it's a um, it's an important term. It's really, you know, just like the idea of U.S. intelligence having too much control over our country and thus having too much you know, power you know, with British intelligence or Tavistock Institute in, in Britain over the world. Um, but, yeah, it was a major definitely maybe it's arguably the most important, you know, takeover democracy. But you know, other people might argue that 911 was uh, the biggest take, you know, usurpation of democracy. We've only got two or three minutes left. If you've got any final questions for John, squeeze them in there now. We'll try and do short answers to get through them. Uh, Method wants to know if the Kennedys were involved in Marilyn Monroe's murder. Well, there, you know, some people make that speculation and I don't, I don't believe it's the case. I mean, there were so many uh, attempts. You know, when you, when you got political targets like the Kennedys, in the same way, you know, I'm not saying that they weren't promiscuous and, you know, that maybe JFK or RFK or whoever didn't sleep with Marilyn Monroe. It's certainly possible. But no, I don't believe uh, that they murdered her. I think that... Um, uh, they, you know, there was an attempt to smear uh, the Kennedys with with the murder of Marilyn Monroe, um, and just because they were such targets, you know, for U.S. intelligence, and the the kind of the evidence that that uh, I've seen when um, 
you know, that they, the Kennedys were behind Marilyn Monroe's death are, it's just, it's bad sources. It's sources that are police connected, that are biases that, um, you know, and police, even local police are connected to U.S. intelligence. Police intelligence units overlap with the FBI. There's FBI agents there in our country that are both police and FBI. And I document that in my books, the FBI warrant to Buck Shakur and, um, as well as drugs as weapons against us. So I think they planted evidence to pretend the Kennedys were involved, but they, I don't believe they were involved. We still have a few questions. Can we just do very short answers on these ones? We've right. got Harjit. Would, are you willing to believe the victim was a JFK body double? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, Je uh, Rebecca, was Lee Harvey Oswald really assassinated? Yes, by Jack Ruby. Was JFK on the UFO files? Onto the UFO files. I don't know what the UFO files are. All right, let's see. Excellent interview. Conspiracy. All right, we have actually um, almost run out of time, John. All right, so can people contact you on your socials and ask you questions and follow you? Yeah. And... Go to John Potash, J O H N P O T A S H dot com, or it's also titled drugsasweapons.com and you can uh, contact me through that website for sure and I'll respond to your questions if you'd like but you can see all my films and all my books you know on that website as well as other articles and other issues on that website and Ash has just sent me a little note as one of our most best received guests by the viewers John he's Apparently going to invite you on to our hundredth episode, which is three weeks from now, I believe. So <laughs> three, That'd be four great. Weeks now, Thanks so much, John and Ash, for that. That'd be great. Oh, I really appreciate that. You take care, my friend. You do the same, Sean. Thanks again for having me on. All right, cheers, John. Bye.